morning, we are also going to be starting a journey through the letters of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. We're going to start today in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and read um, into chapter 2, verse 6. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. That is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. May God add his blessing to the reading of this word and let us be in prayer. Lord, you have shown in this passage the choices that we have. We can live with you. We can believe in you. We can follow your commands and put aside sin and live in the light. Or we can choose the other and choose darkness and sin and a life that is not of your choosing for us. And so, Lord, help us to be strong. Help us to make the choice that you have laid so clearly in front of us, the choice that is with you and that is to follow you. Lord, as Pastor Keith comes forward today to present the message and to share that which you have given him, please allow our hearts and our minds and our our eyes to be open to this message and release those things in our lives that are not of the light, that are truly the darkness that we need to set aside and be done with. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So, this is, uh, yeah, 
Anybody know what TV show this sort of is borrowed from? MASH? Yeah, I think throughout the day that answer is going to get a little bit less familiar to people. Um, but you remember the sign on, on, on MASH? You know, I remember when I was growing up, they had the reruns on. And you'd see this sign and it had all these different destinations and all these different, uh, you know, places out in the middle of this, this, uh, this jungle, sort of. And, and what's interesting is that, you know, you can't get everywhere by only going two directions. There could have been more directions than this or than that. But ultimately, the way, the way we see it is you can really go this way in life or you can go that way in life. And that's kind of a useful thing for us to think about as we look into what I consider to be probably the most um, generic title of a sermon series we could ever come up with. Christian living in this world. I mean, you could talk about anything if you wanted to under, under that, that title. But what we're going to aim to talk about is Jesus Christ and how he's called us to live in this world as his followers and in, in this idea that his good friend John brings to us you can really in life go this way or you can go that way. That's how John writes. He's, he's, he's not a person who has a lot of gray in his life, according to what he's written. And, and I'd like to, to begin by just explaining to you a little bit about his life and his writing so that we can understand what he's meaning when, when he comes to us in this letter. So, John, the author of, of, of the, the text that Vicky read this morning, is the apostle John. He, he was the one in the scriptures that is identified as the disciple Jesus loved. Now, he gave himself that title, by the way. And you might think, well, that was kind of arrogant. What's he trying to say? You know, hey, look at me. I'm the one that Jesus loved. He didn't love you. That, that wasn't his point. I think he did that to show a special relationship that he had with Jesus. Um, probably, my guess would be, because he was just a kid when he became a disciple. And the reason why we know this is because of how long he lived. Uh, scholars point to John's gospel being written somewhere around 90 A.D., which would have been, of course, about 60 years after Jesus was crucified and, and resurrected. So, so John was probably, you know, at the oldest, you know, mid-teens when he began to follow Jesus. No one really knows for sure. But surrounded by all these, you know, big burly fishermen and tax collectors and zealots, you know, I'm sure John probably needed to find some, some uh, you know, rest with Jesus in a more, uh, you know, maybe like big brotherly way. Anyway, he writes this, this text as an old man. And this is attested to by some of the other early church fathers, like men like Clement of Alexandria, other post-apostolic figures like Polycarp, who was taught the faith by John himself, cite some of his writings, which is where we come up with these dates. If you've been following the Marian Methodists, you see these writings on these, these uh, church fathers, these older guys, and one of them was on Polycarp, who was a student, a personal student of John. So John passes the faith to Polycarp, who then becomes a bishop, and he passes the faith on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Well, as John's writing this text, he's an old man. He has seen all of his fellow apostles die as martyrs. He's seen Jerusalem and the temple destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, just as Jesus had predicted in Matthew 24. 
He'd seen the church, despite its great persecution, grow geographically beyond the area of Jerusalem, just as Jesus had, had commanded them. He had seen all these things. Now he, he sits watching this church struggling to find its way in a world that is quickly changing, in a world where the Christian church no longer has a home in Judaism any longer. See, the Jews had kicked out the Christians from the synagogues around 85 A.D. And there were still some questions about what the church would look like. Because you got to remember, for the, for the original disciples and their followers, they went to worship every Saturday at the temple, or if they weren't in Jerusalem, at a synagogue. They worshipped alongside their Jewish brothers and sisters. But as the, as the Christian faith began to develop more and more, and they began to place more and more um, you know, autonomy between themselves as believers in Jesus and those who rejected Jesus that belonged to the Jewish faith, there was some tension there. And ultimately, the, the Jewish believers said, you must leave now, get out. So now Christianity was on its own. So they worshiped with the Jews on Saturday, and then they would gather together just as Christians on the first day of the week, Sunday, called the Lord's Day. That's why we worship on Sunday, because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's into all this that John, as an old man, knowing that his death is is not so far off, writes these letters to the church scattered throughout the region. You see, he knew it was his job to do that. All the apostles believed that. And, And remember, at this time, there's still no official New Testament Bible. There's no written guide, so to speak, assembled and codified on how to do this whole Christianity thing. So the apostles trained the leaders of the church, and it was their job to pass down the faith. And and in fact, even the apostle Paul, in one of his letters to the Thessalonians, he, he, he describes it this way. He says, so then, my brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So he's acknowledging that they're passing down this, this faith to these, and that some of them are writing things down, which would later become the New Testament, and some of them are just pulling people aside and saying, look, this is how Jesus taught us. This is what he said. This is how he meant. This is what we're supposed to do. And as you have heard from me, you are to pass this down to others. So John begins as the oldest and longest surviving apostle with these words, that which from the beginning we have seen, We have heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked at with our hands, we've touched. This we proclaim to you. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Now we'll stop there for just a moment because the first thing that John is doing here is he's establishing the fact that this message which he is now writing is something that he personally received from Jesus Christ. 
It wasn't something that he saw written on a cave someplace from thousands of years prior. It wasn't something he learned passed down through generations and generations and myths and, and uh, you know, stories. He wants to say to them, look, what I'm telling you is trustworthy, it's true, and it's authoritative because I heard it from the man himself. And what you're hearing from me came directly from him. You have to understand, by the way, that it's completely rare in this world when it comes to ancient world religions to have that kind of witness. Okay, A lot of what we have in world religions are writings that have been taken from various places over thousands of years and, and there have been thousands of years of gaps between what was said to have been done and what was done. And, and I know people want to say that about the Bible. Oh, the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament writers, they all made it up. But this is pretty significant here, don't you think? That we have actual letters written by the person who was with Jesus. I mean, that, that, that's, that's unrivaled in, in the world. So he wants his readers to understand that. And what he does is sets up the reality that in this world there are two competing forces, light and darkness. And you have to choose to live in one or the other. And John lets us know what that looks like by simply saying to us, and what we just read, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now think about what that means. How is God like light? Now, you could just, you could write books about that, and I'm sure they've been written. But I'm going to try to stick with kind of what John is going after. And, and here's, here's what I, what I believe. God is light in the fact that God shows the way. You know, that's what light does. If you're on a trip, if you're in a, in a forest in the middle of the night, and you need to know which way you're supposed to go, it helps to have a light, doesn't it? It helps to have a light because light's going to show you which way you're supposed to go. God is like that for the Christian. God comes to us as the means to, to show us how we're to live. And he, he doesn't just provide a light as a tool. He says, I am the light. He says, if you live in me, you'll know the way you're supposed to live. If you follow me, you'll know the way you're supposed to go. Remember, discipleship, and we say this all the time here, discipleship isn't just knowing stuff. Discipleship is following Jesus. And if you want to know how to get through this world and live your life for Christ, you follow the light. So God is light in the fact that, and like light in the fact that He shows the way. God is also light in that God reveals reality. I mean, think about that. At its basic level, it's pretty much what light does, right? It doesn't create reality, it reveals reality. Anybody in here, you can be honest, anybody here scared of the dark? You know, maybe when you were a kid, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was not really scared of the dark, but I had a nightlight, probably because my mom made me, right? Put this in your room, then you won't be scared. I wasn't scared. The, the, I was more scared with a nightlight, because those little things make creepy shadows in your bedroom at night, you know, and you wake up and you see all this weird stuff, you're like, you, no, just turn the lights off, okay? Because here's the thing, when we're afraid of the dark, that's... I think that's kind of one of the most irrational fears, but it's so powerful to people. Because why? Whatever's out there is still out there. Light doesn't create reality, it reveals reality. Okay? So, when we have darkness around us, we're not protected from whatever's there. And whatever's there isn't any worse because it's in darkness. 
We just simply don't know what it is. So when we have light, we're simply able to see what's real around us, which is incredibly helpful for a lot of reasons, isn't it? You know, I don't know too many people who are afraid of the dark that are pilots, you know. They, they, want, they, they want to be able to see everything, right? But at the same time, if it's too bright, you know, then they can get messed up too. We'll talk about that in a second. But y- you want to understand what's real. And that's what God does. That's what light does. God simply reveals reality. Now, God created the reality, but following Jesus allows us to understand what reality is. And John says that. And then additionally, John says that God is like light and that God lets people recognize community. He says, look, this light isn't just for one solitary person. It isn't meant to be one of those little flashlights that you have that you, you know, kind of carry around for yourself that you don't disturb anybody else with, you know. It's not, a, it's not like that. The, the light of God is designed to be inclusive and to bring everybody in so that people can see what the light of God is. It's supposed to help us form community. It's supposed to help us invite others into that light, you see. And if we have fellowship with God, then really we recognize that, hey, so do a lot of people. So therefore, we can, we can all live in the light together if we live in the light. But you can't have both darkness and light at the same time. It's impossible. And John is setting up the idea that there's a clear reality that distinguishes the followers of Jesus from everyone else. In other words, there are two different directions, just like on this sign. There are two different directions, and you can't have it both ways. Are you the kind of person that likes to have it both ways? That's kind of our culture, isn't it? That's kind of our world today, living in a Christian world. Living in a Christian world, in this world, is, is the world of trying to figure out how to do life when everybody wants to have it both ways. I mean, think about that. The kind of person who likes to save money so you buy a bunch of stuff when it's on, because, it's, because it's on sale, whether you need it or not. A few weeks ago, my daughter comes bursting into my room at night, and she's got all this stuff that she went and bought. She's like, look at how much money I saved. You're like, okay, you'll figure that out someday. You want to eat healthy, so you put, a, you put like an extra vegetable on your pizza? Right? I, I read an article once that said, if you just put extra tomato sauce on your pizza, now it becomes a superfood, you know? I like that. I saw a guy one time driving down the road in a minivan with rims. Talk about trying to have it both ways, Right? I mean, that's just life, isn't it? We want to have it all. We want to figure out how to have this and how to have that. It's what we do. And you know what? Sadly, it's what we do with our faith, too, sometimes. See, many people want to have the light of God in their lives, but still want to hold on to a little bit of darkness. We want the forgiveness of Jesus and the love of God, but at the same time, we want to protect a little bit of our sin so that we can still have that, too. We want to follow God's will, but yet only if it agrees with our will. We want to have it both ways. And what John is telling us is, look, it's this or it's that. You can't have both ways. Light, 
doesn't exist where there is darkness. This is a theme that's important to John. He, he writes about it in, in his gospel as well. In the third chapter of John, right after he does the whole God so love the world thing, he says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So here's what we have to understand. For the Apostle John, there are two and only two realities. Light, darkness. And he breaks it down into two realities because that's what there is. And that's all there is. Now, Sometimes we can't see which is which because we are blindfolded or blinded by the world, the flesh, and the devil. But in the end, darkness and light is all there is. Think about it, though. You can have less light the farther away you are from the light source, but as long as you can even see a little bit of it, you can still find your way back. Consequently, if you turn your back on the light while you're standing next to it, you can still see a lot, but the more and the farther away that you walk with your back to the light, the more darkness you you realize that is surrounding you. And if you keep walking in that darkness, eventually you can't see the light or yourself or anything else around you at all. So what makes it so difficult to live in the light for us at times? You know, I mentioned this whole idea of blindness and blindfolds. I was thinking about that. Look look at what he writes here in, in, in chapter 2. He says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, the first blindfold I want to talk about is sin. Because what sin does is it's like taking the light of God that's right in front of you and putting something right in your way. And that's what sin does. It steps between yourself and the light and says, nope, you can't see anymore. And and, and that's what it's all about. It blocks the light. And, And then what it seeks to do is to draw us off the path. Every time you give in to temptation and sin, you're taking a step farther and farther away from the light. Think about that. To follow Jesus means you walk in the light. To follow sin means you're walking away from the light. And there are too many of us who think that we can live in both worlds at the same time. We can follow Jesus and we can still enjoy our sin. But it doesn't work that way. God is perfect light, perfect holiness. In Him, it says there is no darkness at all. When you come to Jesus, He washes you of your sin. He bathes you in His light. He puts you on the right path, guided by His light. And when we sin, we're voluntarily saying, I don't want to see that light anymore, I want to go this way. We voluntarily walk off that path, oftentimes because we're blindfolded, but you know what? Sometimes it's because we're blinded. 
Sometimes it's because something comes into our lives that looks brighter and shinier even than Jesus. You know, the Bible says the devil masquerades as an angel of light, blinding us with his dazzling beauty. And sometimes that happens to us. We're doing just fine. We're walking with Jesus. We're living in the light. And then out of the corner of our eye, something beautiful appears. Something um, just incredibly bright. Oh, look at that. Something shiny. And now we can't see the real light anymore. And we begin to walk towards that other light. Believing that that's where we belong. And then ultimately, all of a sudden, we realize when that light goes out, we're in total darkness and we don't know where to go. That's what happens. You know that the devil's desire isn't to get you to sin. That's not his goal. If that was the devil's goal, he'd be the happiest devil there ever was. The devil's goal, listen to me, is to destroy you. And to destroy your soul. And to pull you away from God so much that you'll never go back. He's not content just to get you to sin. He wants to pull you away from Jesus. And oftentimes, he'll do it with things that appear to be beautiful and things that appear to be shiny and bright. That sin blinds us. That's how it works. It draws us from God with lies and false promises. You think you're in control. You think you know what you're doing. You think you know where you're going and, and, and everything. And then, bam! That light disappears and you realize you're out in the cold in darkness and you don't know where to go and you don't know what's happened and you say to yourself, what have I done? You ever do that? You ever get to a point in your life where, where, where you just wake up and you go, what have I done? How did I get this far? How did this get so bad? How was I so deceived? How did I allow myself to get so far from God? What happened? Oftentimes it wasn't in one big moment that it happened, was it? It's little compromises, little steps, little things that take you off just a course, just a little bit, because over a far enough distance, just even a little bit off course, you can wind up way, way far away from the light. Sin is blinding at times. We have to be careful of that. But what about people who don't even realize that they're blind? Who think everything's great. You know, another, probably the biggest blindfold out there, I think, is this one, self-deception. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess ourselves, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his words are not in us. We can't turn from our sin if we live with the idea that we don't have any. And John tells us here that unless we acknowledge our sin for the purpose of turning from it, we are calling God a liar. Think about that. What does this look like? How do we come to a real understanding of our own sin? Well, first we must understand what sin is. We must understand that the commands of Jesus and the word of God define for us what sin is. 
See, one of the problems that we have in our world today, in which we're trying to live Christian lives in this world, is the definition of sin has become completely obliterated. Not just in the world, but in the church. And no longer do we have a standard by which we can say, this is sin, that is not sin. Sin is more about an internal feeling or perception or idea that one may have. And you know what? When I get to change the rules however I want to decide what's sin, guess what's not going to be sin? Stuff I really like to do. Right? When I get to decide for myself which sins are worse than others or which is this or, or what even is that, you know, if there's something that I'm always getting grief about, I can just say, you know what? That's not sin. That's why it's so important that we, that we have the light of Christ because that's the light of Christ reveals to us what Jesus' commands are. The light of Christ reveals to us God's revelation about the, the faith that was passed down by Jesus. We don't create it here in 2017. It was passed down from Jesus. We must understand what it is. And then we must seek to examine ourselves to see if we really even are Christians. Because the context of what he's writing is to say to this, look, if you can live a Christian life, but yet constantly walk in darkness and not even feel bad about it, maybe you really aren't a Christian in the first place. He says, you've got to examine yourself. The Apostle Paul put it this way to the Corinthians. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. <clears throat> Remember, he's writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to the church. He says, test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, what's the test? If you've ever committed a sin, you, you're not a Christian? Of course not. You read the rest of John. We have an advocate with the Father. We have, we have forgiveness and mercy and grace available to us in Jesus Christ. That's not the issue. The issue is, do we acknowledge our sin so we can turn from it? See, if we walk around in this world, oh, I don't sin. There's not this or there's not that. You know, it says we make God a liar. So let me ask you personally, is that something that you ever think about? Are you, or are we blind to our own sin? Do we excuse it or ignore it? Do we justify it or even worse, pretend that it doesn't exist? So how do you examine yourselves? Do you ask other people? Those are fun conversations, aren't they? Do you have people in your life who can speak to you spiritually, even about your sin? So to whom are you accountable to? Who is it in your life that that can come to you lovingly with grace and say, hey, I'm concerned about this. You're supposed to be walking with Jesus and you're not. That's not cool. Or there's this area of your life that is so blatantly not in line with Christ. How do you reconcile that? Do we ever have those conversations or is that when we put up the, put up the wall and say, don't talk to me like that, you're in my business. Self-deception is like a blindfold. And we're our own worst accountability partners, aren't we? Think about it. When we can't see reality, we can't deal with it. It doesn't change reality. It just changes our ability to deal with it. It's kind of like that little kid who, when it's time to play hide-and-seek and it's their turn to hide, they go like this. If they can't see me, if I can't see them, they can't see me. They must not be real. 
Self-deception is a horrible blindfold. It destroys us. Blinding us from our own sinfulness doesn't take away our sins. It increases their hold on us. It increases our darkness. Don't let yourself be deceived. I mean, have you ever, have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror? You can be honest. And you thought, well, I'm not too bad. You know? I mean, I'm not, all right. This looks okay. And then you see a picture of yourself. You're like, what the heck happened? What happened? How did I get so fat? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've done that. You look at, you look at a picture and you're like, what? You know, you know what's going on there? Your brain, and this is fascinating to me. I, I like watching stuff about like how the brain works and what people's minds are doing. And psychologists have, have I don't know the, the term they have for it, but... There's this thing that our brains do that when we look at ourselves in a mirror, our brain fixes our flaws. Did you know that? It does. It, it fix, it's like, it's like internal mental Photoshop for your mirror. Okay? And you're like, oh yes, I look this way, I, I'm that way. But they haven't quite figured out how to incorporate the human brain into a camera sensor to fix all that. You know? Now, we look the same, don't we? We are the same. But we are good at deceiving ourselves in many, many ways. And my encouragement to you today, if, if you don't think of anything else or remember anything else I say to you, it's this. Stop deceiving yourself. Take the blindfold off. Be real about who you are. Be real about what's going on. I, I'm running out of time, but the last blindfold I want to talk about quickly is, is the blindfold of disobedience. And, and that's simply this. I'm going to define it this way. When you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it. Or when you know what you're not supposed to do and you do it. When you're just straight up disobedient to God. Here's what John says about that. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. But whoever says, I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his, his, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You know, it's one thing to be ignorant of your own sin. I don't think it's an excuse for it. But that's one thing. Even worse, though, is when we are aware of our own sin. And we willingly choose to do it anyway. When we knowingly and willfully violate God's commands, we enter in to a very serious state. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. We must follow God and live in His light. We must strive for holiness above all. We must turn from our sin and persevere in following God. Peter puts it this way. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. We have two choices set before us here today. We have light and we have darkness. We have this or we have that. Take the blindfolds off. 
Stay focused on the light of Jesus Christ and walk in it. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for your word in our lives. And God, for the light that you are, may you illumine our hearts and our lives. May we live as Christians in this world. Lord, forgive us for the times we have chosen sin, the times we've walked in it, willfully or ignorantly. We ask, God, that you would bathe us in that forgiveness and give us strength and clarity to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.